We're going to be in Jonah 4, 1 through 4. This is our second to last time in the book of Jonah. When you've found it, you can stand up and we'll read together. We're going to actually start a little earlier in Jonah 3, 5, and then move all the way into 4, verse 4. So Jonah... 3, 5 through 4, 4. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw What they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Oh God, I pray that, <laughs> that you would preach this morning and that we would hear, God, that you would just bless us with an understanding of how greatly compassionate you are. Oh God, so speak, we listen. In your name, amen. You may sit down. So I remember, I can remember four times in my life that I have seen someone be rescued from drowning. Um, The first of those times was when I was about five years old and we had this neighborhood pool, not kind of in our neighborhood, but if you... If you went uh, a mile up into this other complex, there was this pool there. And we were out because some friends of ours lived in that neighborhood. And I remember, I mean, you remember as a kid just longing for the lake or the pool, right? Do you remember those days where you were like, like you and all your buddies are just hanging out going, if only we were at the pool. And it was one of those days, so it was beautiful, it was hot. and, And we were out where every kid wanted to be in the pool. And I remember one of the, our friends, Micah, was on my brother's shoulders. And my brother's has always been bigger than I am. And, and so he seems kind of invincible, but, but they were in like the deeper end of the not-so-deep pool. And so Micah was on his shoulders, and I remember him just getting like some, you know, it, it was kind of one of those games of chicken, I think. Remember when you're like, is that what you call it? When you're like on the person's shoulders and you're like, you're like trying to knock the other guy over. And it was like that. It's not a safe game, but it's a lot of fun. And, 
<laughs> All the kids are over there, so they can't hear this. So, so Jonathan was just getting submerged. And, and I remember kind of seeing this from afar, and you're like, oh, he'll be okay. Um, but then I remember my mom, who's a really strong swimmer and was a lifeguard, kicking off her sandals and doing that lifeguard dive into the pool and, and swimming over and saving Jonathan. And, and that stuck out to me because, all of a sudden, you know, you're not really concerned. All of a sudden, you're really concerned. And all of a sudden, then the person you're concerned about has been saved. And it was, obviously, you celebrate. Life, all of a sudden, gains that preciousness that perhaps you'd taken for granted before. And I, and I felt that same emotion this last Monday as Sarita and I were getting ready for a community group. And we were reading through the, the last verses of Jonah 3 to, to study for community group. And we were reading, and all of a sudden, I look at Sarita and I go, do you realize that like a million people were just saved? She was like, wow, yeah. And so the rest of the time, we were just like celebrating together this fact that Nineveh had been rescued. And so our mentality switched from, from yeah, Jonah's pretty silly, huh? To like, this is, this is amazing. This is actually an incredible thing that's happened. And, and I think we've missed out on that. I think we've totally missed out on that. And so, uh, so we have balloons here because we don't want you guys to miss out on it. We want to celebrate. It, uh, you might have thought when you came in because the Stennis came back, which we're also very excited about. <laughs> the Stennis came back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the true intention is that Nineveh was saved. So we can have dual, dual celebration here. Um, but but this, is, this is exciting. And if we overlook this, we overlook what God is calling us to partake in and to be a part of as people who have been saved and people who should desire that all should come to know him also. Um, so I don't want us to miss out on the party. And so what we're going to look at here is really quickly the heart of Jonah and then the heart of God. And, and where, do we, where do we fall into that? We find Jonah here in these verses in a very different spot than we've seen him before in the belly of the whale. So in, in, verse, in chapter 4, it starts out with him saying, well, he was angry, obviously. And then verse 2 says, and he prayed to the Lord. Last time we see Jonah praying was in chapter 2. And his prayer appears very sincere because he himself is at the place of needing mercy. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm in the grave, basically. And so he cries out to God and he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from the depths of the grave. I called for help. And then, and then he ends that whole portion in verses 8 and 9, saying, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And so, so Jonah has this real personal salvation experience. He, he's in the depths Right? And he cries out to God and God rescues him. And so then he goes and he obediently preaches to Nineveh. But then we again find him in chapter 4 just bumming. <laughs> Literally. Uh, the word angry there, the, the literal translation could be, could be sick to his stomach. 
So literally, Jonah is, is nauseated that God has saved nearly a million people. Isn't that crazy? Literally made sick by this. But we find that Jonah is a really good systematic theologian. Um, and, and what I mean by this is because he, what he is saying here, what he is reciting, is f- pretty much verbatim what has been repeated in history uh, of the scriptures over and over again. If we go to, turn with me to Exodus 34, and you find God's self-proclamation to Moses as he passes in front of Moses, and you find here in verse 6 and 7, it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, and maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children from the sins of their fathers to the third generation. So, so what Jonah is literally doing right here is he's reciting what he knows of God from what he's been taught about God. And this is a Peter. I'm going to show you a couple places, just a few from all the, all the, the scriptures that could be, could be compiled together here. If you turn to Nehemiah, see I'm picking all these, these Old Testament passages. This is good for you. Exercise your thumbs. So if you turn to Nehemiah, which is just a, a little bit before the book of Job, which is right before Psalms, that helps you locate it. Nehemiah. 9, verses 17 and 18, reads as follows. But they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. This is talking to the people of Israel. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast themselves before an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and when they committed awful blasphemies. So, so this is what Jonah is repeating here is this is just what we know about God, right? So Jonah's anger isn't isn't changed by what he knows about God, but he's simply able to say, well, I've got to get where you're coming from. But, at the same time, he is saying that if he had the opportunity again, he would flee to Tarshish. Right? He would get on a boat and try to escape again. Do you guys get that? In, in Jonah, where he, you, you find his prayer, and he says, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to, quick to flee to Tarshish. Right? And so he was saying, he's basically saying, if I, had, if I could do it all over again, my ways were better in the long run. Right? You saving six, 600,000 people or a million people, whatever that looks like, in the long run, I was probably better in Tarshish. Right? What, would con- what would compel a heart like that? What would compel someone to totally not care or disregard the fate of all these people. And what I want to ask us as we approach seeing God's heart is, 
is would Jonah fit well in our church or our circle of friends? Honestly. Would he, would he fit in the sense that, would he be able to get away with, well, I, I, know, I know we do a lot of good things, but uh, I'm just a busy guy, right? Like, I don't, don't throw that guilt trip on me, God. I, I mean, you understand I have so many obligations already, right? And, and do, so would Jonah fit in in this church or in our circle of friends? Or, or because is Jonah us? Or is Jonah the guy we know or our best friend who, who we have no problem with them going, yeah, I know there's hungry people, but I really don't have a lot. Right? Or, or what, what do we use? What excuses do we use? And is it that far away from Jonah completely ignoring this incredible event that happened that 600,000 to a million people were saved? And I want us to ask this because, if, because the answer that we give is, <laughs> yeah, I, I think Jonah could sit really comfortably in these seats. Right? If that's the answer we give, man, let's, what are we going to do that we, we begin transforming to the heart of God? So when we hear about, about people who don't know Jesus, we again are going... God, I'm, I'm longing for the day when we get to celebrate that person coming to know you. Or, are, or have we failed celebrating even our own salvation? Because that's the first step to becoming a Jonah. Um, and, and I guess I'm going I'm to give a, a quick... In the long run, I think we're thankful to Jonah because I, you know, this is written as if he, he was the one giving this account and so thankfully, Jonah, maybe looking back after he was all done with this, looking back, he gave a really honest account and was like, this was the man I was. Um, and so hopefully as we get to the end of our time, we can say, this is the man or the woman maybe I have been or I am. And what does it look like to be changed in the heart of God where I'm just celebrating the idea of salvation for people? <clears throat> the first step to sharing the heart of God is realizing first that, that guilt is, is not ignored and justice is upheld. And so the proclamation of God through Jonah to the people was, was what? Well, you read it here in, in, verse three, or in chapter 3, verse 4, it says, 40 more days in Nineveh will be overturned. Kind of a simple message, right? And not, and not a message that you think would like incite people to plea for compassion. <laughs> like, like, you guys are going to be destroyed. God loves you. <laughs> but but in this, isn't that interesting? So the message that is being given is what you guys are doing, what Nineveh is doing, and we've learned in, our, in the, the past sermons that what Nineveh was doing was slaughtering kingdoms, killing massive people. It says that the streets ran with blood, right? So this is Nineveh. And so as God comes to Nineveh, the graciousness and compassion of God isn't coming going like, you guys are okay, I'm just coming to help. <laughs> Which is oftentimes what our, our good deeds and our good intentions can do is we come and we're like, I'm just going to help, my dad said this last week, I'm just going to help good people become better. 
<laughs> right? You guys are really okay. I'm just going to help you become better. But the message that Jonah gives is an uncompromising message. Is that right? And you get that message in Exodus when God passes before Moses and he says, I'm a gracious, compassionate God. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not angry with people. I'm, I'm abounding in love towards them. Because, but I'm also handing out just judgment upon those who have, have lived by their wickedness. And so the first thing we get from the story of Jonah is that God is coming realistically saying, I'm not pleased. I'm not pleased with what I see. And th- that was Jonah's message. But then their response was, was what? And we, we looked at this this Wednesday. Their response was, was first this, uh, this incredible realization that, that God was right in passing, in giving judgment to them, that they deserved it. And so they humbled themselves, and they fasted, and they said they cried out urgently upon God. And it's this beautiful movement towards salvation that you see, because, because the, the message was uncompromising, which says, which oftentimes comes, you know, as we present the message of salvation, we say, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? Everybody, everyone, the wages of sin has been death, but the gift of God that he gives you is eternal life, right? And so the uncompromising message is that sin has done its dirty work, and perhaps it's still doing its dirty work in your heart and your life. But then the message that comes is, and the the message that, that Nineveh is receiving is 40 days. Well, then perhaps he will relent. And so they humble themselves before God saying, God, I do. I do deserve this. Right? This urgency in their heart because they see that they are drowning or that they're already dead. And then, and so they turn their, their eyes to God and they, they cry out for compassion. And oftentimes we try, to, we try to jump around that. We try to jump around that by going, oh, it's, it's okay. Just, just come and you're fine. And when the message of salvation is this blunt message going, those that haven't come to Jesus yet are missing out on the grace that could be theirs. And so, and so because we try to jump around that, I think we're not, we don't have that building anticipation of the celebration that will come when somebody finally says, I'm putting that behind me and I'm going I'm to pursue a God who, who might, as it says in verse Nine, who knows, God may relent and have compassion. Perhaps this God will still have mercy on me. Perhaps he will. And as they turn, they find that that is exactly what God loves to do. Hallelujah. I could end right there, but there's more. (laughs) That is exactly what God loves to do. Turn with me to Luke 15. It's the third book in the New Testament. And, and they have, there's three stories that are all communicating the same message, three parables here. And the third one is the most, most famous, which is the story of the prodigal son. But there's this buildup and this anticipation that's happening. 
And as we, as we drop in to Luke 15, this is where we find ourselves. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Disdainfully, right? So they're looking down. This, this man loves sinners for some reason. Hallelujah. Right? <laughs> so this man loves sinners. And so Jesus tells them these stories. The first is of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one of those sheep goes away. And so the shepherd pursues that sheep. It says he leaves the 99 in this vulnerable place just because he is so adamant about bringing that one sheep back. And when he finds that sheep and he brings it back, in verse 5, he says, in 6, he says, Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me because I've found what is lost. Next story. A woman has ten coins. She loses one. She sweeps the house. She does everything she can to find that coin. She finds the coin and, and she celebrates so much. She says, calls the neighbors all together. This is what our community group should look like, right? Call on your neighbors, Right? celebrate with me, rejoice with me because I have found what's lost. And then verse 10, grab a hold of this, it says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Ten, uh, how many, how many thousand? Six hundred thousand, a million people in Nineveh that turned to God and Jonah is angry? How many months of partying was that in heaven? Right? So how do we miss out on that? How is it that we miss out on that? And we, and I'm, I'm included, I'm included in this because when Sarita and I were going over this and we discovered this, I was like, I miss out on so much joy. I miss out on so much joy because I'm not looking forward to people coming to know Jesus. And so maybe when they come, then I'm like, okay, there's another one. When, when, where's the next one, Right? When the, the angels, when heaven bursts into song, when one soul is saved. Right? So what's the best way to anticipate heaven? Right? To celebrate the salvation of people. To celebrate the salvation of people. And so when we are missing out on that, like, like Jonah was, when we miss out on that, we're not going to be sharing any, any joy. So what, is this, what does this look like? What this looks like for us is labor. It uses this, this description. Paul uses this twice in Colossians and Galatians. In Colossians 1, 28 29, it says, We proclaim Jesus admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To do this to this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works within me. In Galatians 4.19, it says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am so perplexed with you. <laughs> I'm perplexed with you because you don't get how good it is. <laughs> I'm going to change my tone. I'm going to, if I was there, man, you know, we'd, <laughs> we'd, we'd figure it out together. We'd celebrate together. Maybe I'd plan a barbecue and, 
You know, <laughs> something so we would get, get that what we want is for people to, to see how good Jesus is. And I think the reason why we don't sometimes is because it would, if we tasted in the smallest extent the joy of it, and we wanted more of that, we would be called crazy and radical. Right? If, we, if we tasted it to the smallest extent, the celebration that's going on in heaven when one person finally says, God is a God of compassion, and I want to live my life for him. If, if we tasted the joy in heaven over that, we would want more and more so much that we would be called crazy and radical because of the extent which we'd want to go so more and more and more people would want to know him. I still enjoy the, the missionary stories uh, that I hear, um, not only those that I heard growing up, but, but my, even my parents' stories. With, uh, for you guys who don't know, I was born in the Philippines and my parents were missionaries there. And, and I still try to think what it would look like to experience a calling like that where you are willing to go live in a, in a, in a place, in a tribe, among a people who had never, not just never heard the name of Jesus, but never seen, seen a person outside of their own tribe before. Right? But, but what I want us to gain today is a missionary excitement. Where, what does it look like to own that so much that you're saying, I will, I will travel, I will train years, I will travel months to be a part of these people because I'm so passionate about what, if not all of them, one of them finally saying, God is a compassionate God. <laughs> right? What does that look like to so own that that you're willing to go to that extent? And own that so much to go to that extent that you would apply that same passion and vigor here. Listen to, in the journals of David Brainerd, he was an early missionary in the Americas um, here. Uh, listen to, in his journal, he said, I walked out this morning and had an affecting sense of my own vileness and cried to God to cleanse me, to give me repentance and pardon. You get that same uncompromising view of God, that he is a just God. But then he says this, he says, I then began to find it sweet to pray and could think of undergoing the greatest suffering in the cause of Christ with pleasure and found myself willing, if God should so order it, to suffer banishment from my native land among the heathen that I might do something for their salvation in distresses and deaths of any kind. Then God gave me to wrestle earnestly for others, for the kingdom of Christ in the world, and for the dear Christian friends I have. Isn't that gorgeous? John G. Patton went to a, went to a, a, a tribe in these, this, these islands, and they were, they were cannibals. And so people would naturally say to him, you're going to get eaten. Right? If you're going to cannibals, we'd probably tell you that too. <laughs> um, he recalls once where he says, a, a certain Mr. Dickinson, Dickinson 
tried to persuade him by saying, you'll be eaten. And he says to him, Mr. Dickinson, you are advanced in years now. And you yourself will soon be laid in the grave where you'll be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can by, but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. <laughs> that, <laughs> that sort of... It was that... that Jesting, just saying, is, is this worth it? Yes, this is worth it. Do we count the cost? Is it worth it? And I want us to ask those things because, because perhaps when we hear those things that sound extreme, we might just say, that, that's not my struggle. I'm, I'm called to Bremerton. I work 10 hours a day. You know, I have a lot, a lot on my plate. Or I have, there's a lot of, of things that complicate my life that might not complicate other people's lives. You know, when I go... I'm indecisive. When I go to the grocery store, there's 97 different types of cereal, and I just don't, it takes me time to choose that, you know? And we might come up with these things and be like, right? And we're wrestling with, but what will it look like to to finally, in our lives, come to that serious point where we relate so much with that heart of God? And, And I think it's, perhaps maybe the clearest way to see that is in, in Matthew 9, where, where the, the ending of that chapter in, in 36 through 38, you, you find Jesus, and he's been healing people, he's been out, he's been just loving people, being in their midst. And then he says, it says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed. And they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in his harvest field. And I tell you, when I read the story of Jonah, that's what I ask. I ask first, and I really do, I ask first for this compassion that I want. I don't, I don't want to be angry. <laughs> At God, because God's saving people, and I'm just over here being angry about whatever, right? As we see in Jonah. But what will it look like to, to not only go ourselves with them, plead on behalf of those help, helpless and harassed people, and just say, send, send people. God, send people, send me. I want to be a, I want to be a part of that. Because that is so near the heart of God. So just, just to, to wrap up our time, um, I think the, the greatest way for us to, to begin moving in this direction is to, our, to be restored in the joy of salvation. Because I think if you're restored in joy, you'll want to overflow that onto other people. Um, so five things really quick. Um, the first is, make this what you pursue. Make this what you pursue. I know there's a lot of things you pursue um, that are important and good. We, we rank all these things in our lives to one extent or another. But what, what's our comparison? What, what, is, what is ultimate? Um, and, and Jesus says hard words to bring us to the point of realizing how much our joy will be increased if we take this seriously. He says... <laughs> 
I mean, really, the equivalent, he says, that your excitement, your love for this, your passion for this should be like, he goes, unless you hate your mother and father, you can have no part in me. And that's, those are like strong words. And you're like, how in the world is that possible? Maybe for some of you that's really easy, but... Um, <laughs> but maybe, a, maybe another relationship in your life that you really love. All right, how, how is that possible? I mean, this is... Lord, my family is so important. I just cherish them. And we read through the scripture that that is so important, right? If a man doesn't take care of his family, he is... He's worse than the unbeliever, right? That's a really strong wording. So he's saying, yeah, love your family, take care of your family. What is he saying there? He's like, what is the pursuit of your life? What, what is that motivation? Because, because if that is the motivation, you will be, you'll be bringing your family and the people you are around along just going, don't you see that our joy will just be amplified? When, when we celebrate so much our salvation, and then begin celebrating. The, think about it, if our neighbors, we just have parties all the time. You know, if, if our neighbors knew Jesus, how cool would that be? And then the, then the next neighborhood, and, you know, I mean, we talk about Nineveh, which is a huge city. What about Bremerton? It's only like 40,000, right? And we begin thinking that way, and that becomes, our, what do we pursue? Make, make this what we pursue. The second is see the incomparable worth of this. Because we will, we will make our decisions based upon what we see most worthwhile. And, and, and I realized this, and this was convicting this week, that we at the Coffee Oasis, we do a lot for people. We give resources. We, we're building a shelter upstairs for kids and all those things. And I realized... Oftentimes when people are like, what do you do at work? And, and it came off a lot of times like, I help people. <laughs> right? <laughs> like that's, I don't want to just help people if that's what help people means. right? I, yes, that's good. God says pure, and religion, pure religion is to help the orphans and the widows. But to what extent is just that helping them? If, if, my, if my joy for them isn't, man, I hope that they experience that true freedom of coming to know that, that the guilt and their history and their past, whatever they come with, man, that this merciful and compassionate God is waiting to receive them, love them, and make them a part of his family. Right? And let that be our joy. Uh, third thing, grieve the lostness of the unsaved. Um, Grieve the lostness of the unsaved. Um, pray to grieve the lostness of the unsaved. Um, because that's how we overlook the celebration that's going on in Nineveh. Is if when we hear the edict of God or the judgment of God on Nineveh, Nineveh will be destroyed and we don't go, God have mercy. Right? Because was God's heart a God of mercy and compassion? Yes. And he's waiting for us, too, to be a part in that. I believe he's waiting for us to cry out like Moses would or like, like, these, like Elijah or all these men would pray, God, have mercy. God, have mercy on these people. Please, please, please. God, I know I'm praying your heart when I pray for your compassion and mercy on these people and to partake in that together. And to see everything, this is the fifth thing, to see everything through the reality of the gospel that, that as Paul simply says, I'm, I'm unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save. 
I'm unashamed of the gospel because of the power of God to save. And if that's the reality we're living through, we will live shameless lives that are full of joy. Though they, they carry tremendous grief at times because of what we're surrounded by, because we hear of a tornado that rips up the Midwest, or we hear of a genocide in Africa, or we, or we hear of the shootings that are going on in Bremerton, and that fills our hearts with tremendous grief because we are, we, and we plead with God, God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And then when we see him give mercy, or when we experience that mercy in our lives, we, just, we rejoice. And so for us, what does that look like? I believe that makes us as a church, a church that should just be celebrating. <laughs> celebrating for, man, <laughs> that we come and we're seeking his face. I, I mean, that we can reaccount. I, I, you know, I could sit down with any of you, I, I know, and just go like, man, what has God been doing? And the sharing times are so cool for that. Well, this is what God's been doing. Or, man, I was talking to my mom or my dad, or this is, you know, and, and so we celebrate that, and that will just increase our joy. I will just increase our joy as we do that. So share that together. But we'll only be doing that if we see through this lens of the reality of the gospel. I'm unashamed of it, because it's true power. It's true power to save all those that come. So, would you celebrate Nineveh? And if you would, I encourage you to begin seeking the celebration for Bremerton together. And you can do that by eating cake when you're done, because we are celebrating the birthday of Nineveh. Pray with me. Oh God, we, we live by your mercy. Um, God, I thank you that when we come to your mercy and we seek your face, that you, you then like throw open all these other things to us. And you're going, look at how awesome the mountains are. I made those. And, and look at how cool relationships are. I meant those relationships to be healthy and to be vibrant. And, and you begin opening up in the freedom you give us to all these other beautiful things. But God, we only experience the fullness of those things when we experience the fullness of knowing what it means to have the God of great mercy and compassion receive us. And, and God, I pray that that will just be the passion and the joy of this church. Oh God, I just pray this by your mercy. Uh, in the name of Jesus, amen.